0: Thanks so much for listening into the show today. Matt and I only have one simple request. If you could please click follow, that'll help us out a lot. We do the show for free and for the community, and I hope you get heaps of value out of it. Thank you.
1: Our very first podcast. You tell me yep. what you think. So this is what I kinda of what I was thinking, right? Really excited for everyone to be involved today and really interested to share some of the insights that we are seeing in market at the moment. So yeah.
0: So, hey, welcome everyone to our brand new Power Time podcast. Maybe maybe we need to do a bit snappier. So, <laughs> just cut it down a bit. Uh, let me have another crack. Um, super excited. This is our first podcast today. So, I'm super excited here to be here with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's good right. <laughs> It's Power Time. Get ready. Let's go. Unlocking secrets leaders should know. Hey everyone. Welcome to Power Time. My name is Scott Benning's. I work for Microsoft and I manage the business application technical team across Australia.
1: Hey, everyone. My name is Matt Noble and I run the business applications practice for NCS Australia.
0: Welcome to Power Time. This is the podcast where we talk all things um, low-code, technology, career, so we're really interested in understanding the journeys the companies have gone on as well, so we're going to try and interview as many as we can. Matt, uh, what are your thoughts? What are you What are you looking forward to in the podcast?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing I guess some of our really strong customer success stories and what customers are doing in the market as well as challenging yourself Scott on you know where the Microsoft direction is going when it comes to all things low code as well. So really excited to get some really strong and senior guests on really interested in sharing some insights into what customers are actually doing in market. So yeah,
0: Matt, I can't wait to tell a bit more into your career after the break. Let's have a chat about it.
1: So my career started about sort of 15 or so years ago. Um, So I was on the tools as a Dynamics Consultant uh, as part of that. So I think what that's allowed me to do is really understand the product from an end-to-end standpoint and understand what customers were really looking to achieve as they've sort of built sort of Microsoft business applications technology the last five or so years, I've really switched across to Power Platform uh, and really how do organizations adopt Power Platform to enable their workforce to innovate and basically solve business problems utilizing low code as a platform as well. So I've been involved in about sort of 20 to 30 center of excellence enablements, and that's fully is the end-to-end strategy. So how do we strategize? How do we set up the team for low code? How do we enable the business to start uh, basically developing sort of personal productivity as well as enabling IT to solve those more medium to complex applications in low code? So I have a lot of experience. I've been through a lot of governance uh, and it comes to that. So Scott, me and you have been on a lot of governance calls over the years, and that's kind of how we met. during, during those conversations as well. But we are really seeing a shift in, in low code when it comes to organizations really understanding the business value prop now, rather than being worried about, you know, what this citizen developer or maker concept is uh, as part of that. So I'm seeing the narrative shift. So interested to see from a Microsoft standpoint, is, is that sort of reflecting in, in your role as well? And, and what are you seeing customers really ask to you, uh, come to you with, with questions in, in, when it comes to low code?
0: Now, there's so many things that we should uh, sort of double click on in in what you've just said. And um, when I think about our customers today and what's important for them, it really is embracing what AI can do for them and and moving at pace. And I think low code's really centered around this, right? We've always embraced low code at Microsoft and with the Power Stack and. Um, you know, I, th- I think about my career in the last seven years of Microsoft, I've really started when that evolution began. So I've seen the growth across the platform, the growth in our customers. And it was true, I think, in the first sort of two or three years of the platform, as you would expect, most people were really concerned across governance and how we secure the platform and and how we don't end up with, you know, sprawl of applications and things like this. and we've really done a great job of addressing that. And I I don't really see that top of mind for a lot of people right now. I I think where everyone was sort of coming off the back of access and these things going, hey, we've got so much in our organization. You know, we, we don't want to see that again, but I think we've been able to really prove out and been really successful at proving out in a lot of organizations the value of strong governance and a center of excellence and all of these things. So, you're right. I think we've moved on now from from that strategy. And, you know, most of our customers really have this strategy embedded now and they are now working really effectively across the platform. And now it's about value. How do we get value out of the platform? How do we drive change? And how do we do this in a world where we think AI is really going to make a fundamental difference. And, you know, obviously Copilot is the word at the moment at Microsoft and we've got heaps of um, content around that and, and heaps of proof points as this sort of evolves, but we're really at step one when it comes to the Copilot strategy and what we're rolling out. So uh,
1: it's going to be an exciting couple of years. It really yeah. is. So so Copilot's definitely front of mind. We're hearing all customers talk about it when I'm on calls and, uh, it's a really sort of long meeting as well. I just dropped Copilot in and customers really start to wake up as part of that as well. So I think it's very front of mind and, and really organizations are looking at how they adopt Copilot. So a question back to you is a lot of customers are asking me, when is Copilot going to be available within Australia? Or, when is the infrastructure stood up? Because I understand it's really resource intensive to actually stand up these sort of data centers and and all the GPU needed to, to actually support, you know, the models that get made. So Scott, can you could be pretty share some of the insights, if you can, uh, when it comes to actually enabling Copilot to be utilised within the Australian market. I think, look,
0: there's a, there's a lot to really go into when you think about localization, right? First is how much of my data is actually moving across to another border, another country. You know, where's that data residency really? you know, reside in which countries? And, you know, is that something that's going to impact my business? Because a lot of organizations, when you look at the data that's actually moving in Copilot, they're not really too concerned. It's um, it's going to North America and that's okay. So, but the services are all still located here, Dataverse, everything that you would expect within the Power Platform stack is still located here. It's just the query going over to the language model. So for our more um, regulated industries that really care about this, Um, For us, it's really about infrastructure. It's, uh, you know, the language models create um, a whole bunch of resource requirements around large GPU clusters. And um, I think everyone would have seen the $5 billion announcement for data center builds in Australia. And that's kind of what we're waiting for, right? So we're going to see localization roll out as as the capacity comes online over the the next few months. Um, We've seen announcements come out recently on those timelines. So I think right now it's really just a matter of us waiting but proving out the technology, but more importantly, seeing where the value is for each of our customers, I think what we're looking at today is really the first iterations of GPT. I mean, it's been going around for 10 years, but we're seeing the innovation that we're seeing right now is really sort of that that ground zero. It's now usable in business. What what is that what what do the use cases look like? And what can we do moving forward to really, you know, grab that technology and do something with it?
1: Yeah, and I completely agree. And what we're seeing is organizations get really excited about this technology, but we're still at the early adopter stage of how we can actually use Mm -hmm. this technology to actually solve business problems as well. And I think over the next sort of coming months, that'll really start to evolve as we start to get some tangible use cases from actually organizations adopting this. And then from there, we can start to have those really informed and structured conversations. But at the core of it really is data, so I think data and security is at the core to everything Copilot and everything Gen AI related as well. So I think that's where Microsoft Fabric becomes involved as well to really ensure that you have that really strong data governance and data structure as well to make sure that your you know your Gen AI is really working effectively um throughout your organization as well. So Scott, Power Virtual Agents is, is potentially being removed and being rebranded to Copilot Studio. Is that something that you can maybe uh, elaborate on? I found that update. First off, really interesting, but also really exciting with the, what you can actually do within this new sort of CoPilot Studio uh, framework as well. So uh, anything from Microsoft to share when it comes to that?
0: Well, you know, when I look at CoPilot Studio and the rebranding of PVA and what we're going to be able to do with that platform, nothing makes me more excited, I think, about a technology right now because um, CoPilot Studio really takes, it really brings the, you know, the, um I guess the innovation that we've been talking about in Copilots into a central place where we can go and configure and really customize our Copilots that we're going to be pushing out to our customers. And, you know, Office Copilot can be configured in there. We can go ahead and retheme, we can theme the Copilots. It's really that central place now where we can go and make an impact. And I think that's what customers were really looking for. It's like, you know, I think we've got a last count over 150 co-pilots now that have been released. Our strategy is clear: AI in every in in every product and. You know, having a way to be able to go manage that moving forward is really exciting. So, I'm um, I'm keen to see how how it gets rolled out. I mean, we really liked Power Virtual Agent. Now it's become sort of a part of Copilot Studio as a product, and and um you know really keen to see how our customers go and use this and develop their own Copilots to do their own things that are really centered around their organization. But you know, what's really interesting, I think, and is you know what use cases everyone's going to use this technology for. I mean. Yes. You know, you and I have spoken about this in the past, which is, you know, do we do we still have, you know, applications for simple tasks for employees, for instance, um, or do we, you know, do we move that into some sort of language model and have that really address those needs? Um, So there's a big internal employee focus. But question for you, Matt, what, what are you seeing amongst your customers when it comes to Copilot? Um, and you know, I think we're in two camps, right? We've got those that think it's it's scary and and it's Terminator and it's going to take over the world, and we've got those that are going, this is amazing innovation. We need to embrace it. We need to control and govern it, and we can see huge benefits. And um, which uh, which camp are you in? I'm I'm hoping not the first one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about Copilot as well. And we hosted some customers at Microsoft about a week or so ago for the App Innovation event, and I think. Um, Ryan Cunningham actually went up and built an application with Copilot. So first of all, that's showcasing that the technology actually works. If the vice president is on a live demonstration, actually building an application with a Copilot, and customers were really, really impressed with that. So what we're seeing is really customers excited about the technology. There's obviously some unknown. unknown. They want to get their hands on it as well. So um, we're seeing a lot of potential conversations start to occur and they're really challenging us about whether they see the Copilot direction moving forward. Now, we are seeing some potential, you know, you know, virtual agents or co-pilot studio conversations as well to have that sort of internal virtual assistant that can crawl accru- across all your internal data to provide, you know, the right information at the right time, um, utilizing that technology as well. But where I'm really seeing co-pilot for power apps in particular is really to fast track that onboarding for your internal sit makers. Yes. Yeah? So the ability to build like an expense management form. They can just interact with co-pilot extremely quickly and that's allowing them to you know, really come on the journey and understand how to piece together a Power Platform solution as well. Um, the Power Automate Copilot as well, natural language to converting that out and building out your Power Automate flows. I see that again being really helpful for, you know, those product, personal productivity sit dev makers as well within particular business units. It's really just going to fast track their adoption and and, and to when it comes to actually building out Power Platform solutions as well. Now, within Copilot as well. Um, we're still seeing partners and sort of technical developers as well having a part to play. You you can't hand off off a, you know, co-pilot to build a really critical application at this stage. And I don't think that's the intent from Microsoft either. I think Charles, when I caught up with him in Las Vegas, kind of reiterated that that point. It was really about, you know, those sort of personal productivity applications initially as well. And then the product will kind of learn and evolve and start to be able to become more powerful um, as a technology platform sort of evolves when it comes to that as well. So we're seeing a lot of interest from customers as well, Um, but they are sort of at the beginning of their journey. Yeah, they're not going to enable Copilot for everyone at this stage as well. They're going to sort of target particular sort of certain strong level um, sort of tech-savvy business users within their organization to handle that first, and then from there start to roll out that within their sort of community of practice models, all of that kind of stuff as well. So it is very front of mind. It's coming up in every single conversation I have at the moment. Organizations are very excited as well, but I think they're still in that crawl, walk, run phase. They want to understand what it actually does first, the potential, you know, risk, governance, all of that kind of stuff. And then from there, they'll start to uh, uh, adopt that more effectively moving forward. So, yeah, that's that's what we're hearing from the ground. They are really excited about it. So, um, yeah, like I say, I think it's... um. Copilot also in GitHub. You can actually also help professional developers and fast track that. So I think there's some recent statistics about 60% more, you know, turnaround time when it comes to actually building pro code, utilizing sort of Copilot as well. Yes. Yeah? So we are seeing it being a platform or technology that can surface everyone. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so exciting as well. So that's what I'm hearing from the ground, Scott. So yeah. Any, awesome. any questions on that, mate? Uh, let me know. I think we've got lots of
0: questions, but it's a good time to take a break right now. I think we could just about bring our first guest onto the show. And uh, with that, all right, welcome back everyone to the show. It is with great pleasure I'd like to introduce our guest on the show today to talk about all things app modernization, Mr. Bert Wins. Um, I might hand it over to Bert to do a quick introduction before we get into some questions. Bert, over to you. Who are you and what do you do? Thank you, Scott. Uh, so, Burt Uh
2: I'm one of the two founders of Power Accelerate. Uh, so we founded the software uh, startup about three years ago, and uh, now I think, where we modernize legacy applications uh, towards the Power Platform and automate the majority of that. Um, so we've been around and on this journey, I think, for a little bit over three years now and started off a bit as a yeah, fun learning exercise, like we were seeing in the market uh, that customers were looking at modernizing apps towards the ever-growing popular power platform. Uh, and they were realizing that it actually yeah, was quite expensive to do that because even if a customer has yeah, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 apps, If the average cost of that is is quite high, you get to a large uh, amount. And we figured there's probably a way where we can automate uh, a bunch of these tasks. So we've built a a tool and a piece of software which does an automated assessment. uh, What does an application do? Uh, And we support uh, a bunch of source uh, systems, uh, lots of nodes, MS Access, Excel, uh, Mendix, SQL, and I'm forgetting one, InfoPod. and we basically scan that uh, we give you an assessment of this is what we found in that solution. And then we extract the data model, so tables, uh, field types, do mapping towards the power platform, uh, move that data model towards the power platform, migrate the data, and then we also generate application components. Uh, so these can be model-driven applications uh, for the packet, and then also Canvas apps uh, based on a template. Uh, and as of uh, last week, we also just announced our co-pilot product uh, where we can Take logic, which exists in the uh, source system, can be VBA code or Lotus Script, uh, and we developed the copilot uh, which can help you move those uh, to the Power Platform as well, make recommendations uh, on how to move
0: that and, and which uh, tech components to use. That's pretty impressive. I can't believe it's been three years. I remember when you started up Power Accelerate, so... <laughs> I'm feeling a little older right now. That's, uh, yeah, phenomenal. And co-pilot integration as well. That's really cool. So pretty keen to see that now. Now we'll have to do some sort of demo to check that out. But uh, yeah, awesome. Great great solution. And I think it makes it really easy to migrate some of those workloads that are really, really difficult. Um,
1: From a partner standpoint, we've obviously communicated a lot over the last 12 months. And I'm a definite big fan of Power Accelerate. But We've worked on a number of customer sort of engagements together can you tell me about what makes up the perfect sort of customer for power accelerate for those that might be listening and they might be interested in you know modernizing their existing application footprint
2: yeah so there's a set of parameters i guess which we've seen quite often and and most of the time there's a link also to the to the source channel like if you take lotus Notes, uh, we're probably looking at a customer who has built the Lotus Nose landscape over all of those years have been trying to get rid of uh, the on-premise uh, servers and the, and the hardware still paying for licenses. And uh, so they, they're looking to make a business case uh, around yeah moving from that uh, infrastructure and, and those on-premise licenses towards the power platform and getting all of the business benefits of that, which can be productivity, better insights, access to co-pilot uh, technology and, and large language models. Um so that's, I think a parameter of the source channel. Like if you take MS Access, we can be a customer and we've got lots of public sector customers who connect through Citrix to 32-bit MS Access applications and they're looking to migrate to m 65. And so they need to get rid of these uh, old legacy apps. It can be InfoPath, SharePoint on-premise. Uh, against customers are moving away from it, but they've got hundreds of thousands of forums, uh, still an in InfoPath, and they're looking for a solution. So I. I think the source system defines a bit of it, but then also, I would say our ideal customer also has a parameters in the Power Platform world. Uh, in the ideal world, they have some experience uh, with Power Platform, and uh, they have built a first set of, uh, of apps. They have set up a bit of governance uh, around uh, Power Platform as well, so they can almost, yeah, drive a little bit of self-sufficiency as well. So they're not, not yeah, 100% dependent uh, always on external parties.
0: So, Bert, what what do you think is top of mind right now in the industry when it comes to this topic? I mean, obviously, some some people listening to the show right now will be going, you oh, know, we don't really have any notice notes and things like that. But, I mean, we still see a fair bit of that kind of legacy application. But the industry in itself does have a lot of applications. What, what are you seeing with your customers and, and what's top of mind?
1: Yeah.
2: I think I mean power platform is, is growing at an incredible uh, speed and the innovation now with all these copilot technologies is you're you're seeing a shift where citizen developer maturity uh, through these open AI technologies actually increases. So so customers are able to do more themselves. At the same time, like over the years, customers have so much shadow ID. In, in many cases where we see a customer is that those MS Access developers uh, from 10, 15 years ago are actually really good at becoming citizen developers as well because they, they've, they've done this. Uh, but there is a lot of legacy, uh, shadow IT, uh, IT departments don't really know what to do with it. They don't really know what's there. And they are keen to move to this modern world, uh, getting access to that data, but it's just expensive uh, for them. Just the, the average cost of moving, one application is pretty high. And, and with our automation, we can, yeah, uh, reduce that average cost uh, quite a lot. And that is uh, really compelling uh, to these customers. Having said that, I think our co-pilot product takes this even further now, where we can also tackle a part of the logic piece. Um, but no customer's gonna spend money to spend money. So they need a compelling reason, like why uh, would they take this app uh, towards the mm-hmm. part of them? What is the business uh, outcome I'm getting because of that. And, and I mean, some of our, yeah, some of these source systems have like a, a total cost of ownership benefit, like you're getting rid of some hardware or some licenses. But I think the the biggest thing now which you see these days is, is uh, yeah, generative AI, like taking a piece of data, which it sit, still sits on legacy technology, you bring it to a modern world like Dataverse, and then it opens up all of these generative AI possibilities on top of that data. Uh,
0: that's yeah. a big thing that we see as well. Uh, yeah, it's an excellent point, isn't it? Because um, if we can tap into that that data, all of a sudden you can just open up chat and just query the data, it makes it really, really easy. We were kind of thinking, I mean, Matt and I were talking about SIT Dev, all, we are talking about it all the time, that topic, right? And we thought, oh, SIT Dev, maybe it's maybe it's dead this year, maybe we're not going to see it. Um, you know, maybe it's the platform platform's just too hard for the average person to kind of configure on, even though it's getting easier. And then Copilot drops and we see all this AI technology, it's like, go build me an app, uh, you know, go configure this form and things like that. And all of a sudden we're seeing this massive acceleration into SIT Dev. So you know, I kind of agree, I think, you know, SIT Dev it's going to be the rise of citizen development again with this AI technology, so. Yeah, citizen development,
2: see the Yes. open
0: <your> eye. <laughs> Yeah. That's your official term, SIP dev 3.0 is
1: coming, so yeah. <laughs> really just want to drill down on one of the points that you alluded to before, because I really agree. It kind of really resonated with me. It seems like now the cost to do nothing is outweighing the cost to migrate, given what's happening with technology and what you can build in really, those really intelligent application scenarios. Would you kind of agree with what I'm saying there? Is that kind of the point that you wanted to reiterate when you were going through that before? Yeah, I mean,
2: a lot of customers have been sitting on this legacy technology, legacy Lotus Notes, customers know for 10 years that they want to get rid of it, but they've been waiting and waiting and kicking that can down the road. Uh, But now, generative AI might really be, uh, and and automation, uh, of course, might really be the proof point for them, like, okay, we need to act now, because if we wait, that data is going to sit there and we can't use this new technology on top of that. So it's, it's a driver which we see out there, which is, making all of these customers um, move and, and take action. A lot of them are stepping that, uh, like, like taking small steps first. So they try one app uh, with an assessment, but once they see the possibility and the automation and, and that we can really automate all of this work, and uh, you see an acceleration uh, as well. And I think also, Matt, I mean, we discussed it before as well. You, you could look at setting up these app migration factories and it's a concept which has been around for a very long time. But now if you combine that with automation, and then a uh, fact, you can actually move a lot of apps uh, for uh, yeah relatively okay cost for the customer as so. well.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. And it's obviously something that we do a lot of as well. So for those those listening that don't understand the concept of an app migration factory or how to approach establishing one, but given your experience in market, how do you sort of tackle a big complex application migration? And obviously, what are the supporting teams and structures and frameworks that you obviously need to be successful? You've obviously done a lot of it during your experience at Power right, but we really want to share back to the community and those listening, for those interested, so yeah. Yeah,
2: let me let me focus on um, a couple of aha moments, uh, I guess, which I've had over the years in, in this area. Um, and I'll start with one, like a lot of these big enterprises, they will have done, assessments and they will have paid a lot of money uh, to do assessments uh, as well. And then they spend, yeah, three, four months uh, going through a landscape, seeing what's there uh, analyzing into details. Uh, But eventually, all they get at the end of it is uh, a big PDF report and an Excel file. And they know, ah, yes, we've now done an assessment. Okay, it's expensive to move, <laughs> and, and that's where they add. Now, okay, yes, yeah, so it's x millions to move these apps. Um, no one's going to act on that. And so I think, think what you need to add on top of that is you need to actually take one or a couple of apps, uh, do the automation on top of them, and and show them what the output is, so they can get a sense of of the output and, and get some hands-on experience. Um, with that as well. Uh, and then those business users are the ones you're going to have to convince uh, in, in the end, you're going to have to show them the benefits uh, of that as well. And if you show them the benefits, uh, you can then also create a business case around those benefits. So it's not just, don't just run a, an assessment. I mean, you still need an assessment, but include a number of proof concepts or or MVPs as, as part of that uh, uh, migration. I think it's a big,
0: a big learning moment, uh, which we've had at least. Yeah. One we- of the things um, I've seen work as well, um, I reckon just to add on top of that, is this concept of educating the team before you introduce um, what the outcome might be. So what I mean by that is... If you've got a team, let's say today, they're building applications on access or maybe still on Lotus Notes or something like that. Sometimes when you go in and go, hey, we're going to move everything to to this new platform, they're not on board. That's their estate. They've done it for the last 10 years and they don't like that change. So we've seen some success lately of going in, educating the team first and go, hey, here's Power Platform. Let's have a look at it, get them skilled. So then, when you do come back and go, "Hey, Power Platform is our remediation platform for these things," um, they're they're more acceptable of that solution if that makes sense, which is really really interesting. So, I think there's a really big education piece as well, right? Now, one one hundred percent, I think the education piece
2: is is key as well, and I think the other one, like like I'll I'll, I'll zoom in on on another one as well, is if you have a thousand Lotus Notes app. You likely don't have to migrate all of those thousands, so it makes sense to prioritize which ones are still in use, um, and even for the ones which are not in use anymore, which ones have valuable data. Uh, a large part of this could also be an activation exercise, and and, and like we discussed earlier, OpenAI could be really good there. Like, take um, if you have a thousand apps, uh, but only one of them one of of them are still in use, and you want to move them, those other 900 move them to dataverse, uh, apply a large language model on top of them, and you can query all of that data for uh, yeah. the rest of, of the days. Um, so so I, I think it's also important to prioritize which one of these apps uh, are important uh, and it bring a lot of benefits to a, a large number of, of users as well.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, and I really love that idea of the data migration straight over to Dataverse, because obviously a lot of it's just the data that's obviously important as part of these legacy applications. So, utilizing tools such as Power Accelerate to get that data into a more modern platform uh, is really be- really powerful and really beneficial. Um, also, as part of this, I think with that whole application migration factory, um, we could also use that to fast-track adoption by obviously embedding the business into those Fusion Team concepts. So, But, Jeb, have you had an experience as part of that in these large-scale applications where business users have been sitting with partners or IT as part of this to sort of fast-track that capability uplift longer term?
2: Yeah, I mean, we are quite flexible from our side. So we can work with with partners, with end-users, that directly. Uh, But most success we actually see when you get a mature uh, partner in there and they start driving self-sufficiency a little bit as well with those business users. It shouldn't be about... having a partner there and and being there for as long as possible it should be about yeah working with them learning them and and change management uh, as well like some of these things if we run the automation uh, and they have to do uh, some configuration on on some forms some of these tasks can actually be done by the end users uh, as well Uh, i think the other side of this is um, like what does an app do i mean if yeah, we talked a bit about Lotus Notes. In many cases, the one of the core reasons why customers are also moving is because their Lotus Notes experts are retiring. They're leaving the company or have left the company a long time mm-hmm. ago. And they don't have a clue what these apps do uh, anymore. And so it, it's important that you have a layer of, of, of business uh, people inside of that um, as well. Uh, so they can help you uh, get an understanding on what does this app do? Uh, how do we, yeah, move this to a modern world and how do we translate that old application concept uh, into this new world where a lot more is possible from a technology point of view?
0: Hey, Bert, one of the things I wanted to just double click on a little bit was, you were talking about the language model, um, sort of, you know, impacting say 50% of the apps or the landscape, but. We've been sort of tossing this idea around, you know, if you look at an app landscape in the enterprise or even in small customers, and you go, I'd build an app for that. It's getting now to oh, just build a chatbot for that, right? And I'll give you an example like annual leave, right? You build an app for annual leave or you just stand up a language model that just says, hey, go book me annual leave. What days are we going to available? What's this day? And then just go do it. And so, have you have you put any thought around what percentage of apps need to be apps, or you know, are you seeing that in customers? What what are your thoughts around that? Because I'm kind of think there'll be a reduction in apps. Yeah,
2: but, I mean, yeah. I fully agree that there will be a lot less, and I, I always joke a little bit on this as well. Like, I mean, 40 years ago, when you were uh, working in a company, you uh, would contact. An admin say, Hey, I want to have holiday at that date, and they would book it for you. So, this chatbot (laughs) is, in a uh, way, an intelligent version uh, or an automated version of.
0: I'm sure there's still some sales managers that get their EAs to do that right now as well, but it probably still (laughs) goes on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, that just highlights the opportunity (laughs) even more. Um, So, I I mean, if you ask me for a percentage, uh, I would say it highly depends on the complexity of the use case, uh, but I. I mean, I would probably estimate it at yeah, 60-ish percent, uh, because a lot of these apps, I mean, depending on the platform, of course, were created by an early version of citizen developers, uh, as well as be an MS Access, Infopod, uh, Lotus Notes. Uh, those were some of the early citizen development platforms, so the complexity of those might not be as high, but you always, I mean, we, we face it a lot as well, you always get called and do that one customer who's been building a, a custom ERP system in MS Access Lotus Notes for the last 10 years. <laughs> that that app's not going to go to a chatbot. Uh, there, I, I think uh, you have a lot of complexity. You need a dedicated analysis and, and move that as well, but that's almost like a...
1: Yeah,
2: uh, a critical line of business application.
1: So you spoke a bit, of a bit more about uh, obviously infusing the co-pilot into obviously Power Accelerate. Is there anything else on the roadmap? Because you are a bit of a forward thinker. I always bounce these really creative ideas off yourself over the last year. What's next on the roadmap for Power Accelerate? Where do you think the product can get to? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously to keep up with the demand that technology is going with.
2: Yeah. See Matt's trying to get secrets out of me again. <laughs> the usual. Um, so there's a couple of Areas I'll, I'll highlight, They're like, um, I mean, I, we just announced the co-pilot uh, product, which has support now for MS Access of VBA code to Power platform. Uh, we will have support for a uh, load script uh, as well. I think some other areas which we're actively pursuing are, let's say you're converting a form and we're creating application components in a form you can actually ask a large language model, like I have these these three tables and with these fields, how would you order uh, those fields on a phone? Uh, So these are simple, small things, but they actually, yeah, it's very useful for that. I think another thing we're looking at uh, is around UX, and UI work where you have a certain color scheme. Uh, You can tell a large language model, hey, I'm creating an app uh, and my company's colors are orange and gray, uh, and, and we have a logo in those colors, uh, what would you recommend for us uh, for the application colors uh, to be? And then based on that, uh, basically generate the application components. So there's, there's so much usage in that. I mean, other, some other thing we're looking at is we have relationship detection, uh, especially for some of our more yeah, immature uh, data sources. Like if you take an Excel sheet, everything looks like a text field. Uh, and you can only detect relationships based on values, uh, but you can say like, "Hey, I have these two tables, uh, and these are the values inside the tables. Can you run an algorithm on this and see which uh, fields in these tables could be relational fields?" And so there's yeah a million possibilities of what we do with like I call it logic and smart logic, and I'll, I'll call it intelligence as well, uh, but taking that to the next level uh, through these open AI technologies is this, it's really yeah, insane how we can improve our automation uh, on average from, let's say, 60% to 90%. Uh, I think so. We, we really see a big impact uh, from this OpenAI technologies, even in our uh, world.
0: Hey, Bert, one of the things I really like about your product is the ability to be able to standardise a template, right, and just punch out the same consistent looking theme every time. So maybe we talk a little bit about standardisation and how your product supports that, because I think it's a great way to be able to help organisations to have a consistent look and feel. Yeah, I think this to
2: areas which I see there, one is standardization of data model. Uh, if you have a 100, 100 Lotus Notes apps or MS Access apps, there's going to be tables uh, which have overlap, like let's say, yeah, contact, the contact table with people, person data. Uh, so we, for the data modeling, uh, support uh, common data model mapping, where you create a common data model, uh, and then you map to common tables, uh, like people data can go into a contact table, rather than creating yeah, 10, uh, contact uh, tables in, in your target. I think that is a key piece of standardization, and also with our data transformation features, you can also do cleansing uh, and some transformations on on uh, on that data. And um, from a UI perspective, a lot of customers actually uh, love that feature of generating apps based on a template because in traditional citizen development. Uh, you yeah, a lot of people work on these ugly blue and white uh, apps uh, with the standard yeah. icons, uh, and I think a lot of people have an allergic yeah. reaction uh, to, to that um, as well. So the fact that we can generate a canvas app as a starting point uh, for citizen developers, uh, like the, the some IT departments using our our software. If a citizen developer has an idea for an app, they reach out to IT, they fill in the form. And then IT would use Power Accelerate as well uh, to generate a data model and then generate a starting point Canvas app based on their template with their UX design, logos, custom controls. And then a citizen developer does the yeah configuration piece uh, with that template and all they really have to do is see, okay, where do I put my fields, maybe add an additional screen where you can start from a template. So there's a lot of value in, in standardization um, here as well, because this becomes a massive task as well as an IT organization. If you have yeah, 50 citizen developers and they all start creating apps at scale, before you know it, you'll, you'll have a color book uh, of apps. And yeah. Yeah, UX design is important uh, for end user adoption uh, in any kind of mobile uh, development. If it's power apps or something else, it needs to be useful.
1: So at the dawn of AI, and at the dawn of the template. But is that what you're trying to tell us here? There's sort of two areas that we're going into moving forward. Yeah, and it's it's a combination as well. I think
2: um, with yeah open AI and generative AI technologies, we can uh, improve those templates uh, even further. We have a lot of standardization capabilities, but I, I think on the roadmap uh, there, there is a lot of uh, opportunity to improve that even uh, further. By I mean things like auto-generating templates based on uh, a set of questions uh, we, we ask it. So I, I think the combination uh, is going to get the product even further. Awesome.
0: awesome. Well, Bert, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the show. Your knowledge is hugely valuable to our listeners, and um, we really appreciate the input that you've had over the last sort of half an hour. And, uh, maybe we can just end with if anyone wants to get in touch with you to talk more about Power Accelerate. How can they do that?
2: Uh, you can reach out to me through LinkedIn, drop me an email at the uh, info at PowerAccelerate.com, go to our website, fill in the form. I mean, I'm, I'm typically very responsive. And I mean, we, we started this as a bit of a learning exercise uh, three and a half years ago, and it's grown to a company I've learned so much from that and, and even the experience and, and helping these these customers with this really complex problem has been really satisfying uh, as well we learned from that and uh, and're happy that we uh, can help these customers out there.
0: maybe that's a topic future down the track, but we'll bring you on just to talk about how to how to create a startup and um, and and grow <laughs> grow a company from nothing to to where you're at today. So yeah fantastic. thank you, uh-huh. Bert. you're always welcome on this show. Uh, Very willing. I mean, I'll I'll sign me up for that show, and that's a
2: a really cool topic to talk about as well.
1: We might have to double the length of that one, Scott, considering some of the stuff that goes on at starting up a startup. But thanks again, Bert, and really appreciate your time, mate. So, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity, guys.
0: Well, that's it from the show today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Just a quick reminder that anything Matt and I have spoken about today is our own point of view and not a point of view from Microsoft or NCS. And if you could please click follow, that'd be fantastic. And thanks to everyone that supported us on this podcast, our production crew, the whole team. Thank you so much. Have a lovely week and we'll chat on the next one.